A reading from the book of Acts. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome again to One Fellowship. My name's Drew, I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and it's so good to be with you, and it's an honor to be sharing with you. I really mean that. Today's sermon is entitled, When Jesus is Everything. This past summer, I had the great privilege of being with uh, Laura's grandmother during the last few days of her life, and I was able to sit and to listen as we ate ice cream together, as she would share about her life, about what was meaningful, about the people in her life, about what she had given time to, about how ultimately her life was lived. And it really stopped me in my tracks and made me think about my own life. Maybe you've had these moments or these seasons that make you stop and examine, really put things into perspective a bit. As I've met with many of you over the past couple months, you've shared some of these with me, that maybe there was something that happened, an, an illness that made you put your life into perspective, or maybe there was a loss of a family member or a friend, maybe it was a loss of a job, maybe it was a time of waiting and having to be patient, and it brought things into perspective, and it really led you to asking these really big questions that we do during these times. What's my life about? What should my life be about? Is my life making an impact, a difference, a lasting and meaningful impression? And usually, at least for me, it's around this same time that we start to feel this tension and pressure of other voices that are speaking in and trying to answer these questions for us. The voice of culture, the voice of our peers, ultimately the voices that come in the world that we live in saying, here's what's most important. Here's what you should live for. Here's what you should give your time and energy to. Here's what success looks like. Here's why it's better to keep some of that faith and belief to yourself. Here's how you get ahead. Here's how you make a name for yourself. How you'll get remembered. How you'll find happiness. How you'll make sure others are proud of you. Here's how to live a fulfilled life. And whether you're a student in middle school or high school or you're an adult, for as long as we can remember, we've had these voices speaking in, try to, trying to tell us how we need to be and how we need to live. It's happening even right now as we sit here. 
So what I would encourage us and what my prayer is for this morning is that for the next few minutes, we would push pause on all of those voices and all of the noise around us. And we would allow God to speak in and to be the loudest voice in the room. To cut through what culture says, what our peers say, people at your work say, even maybe friends or family members say. And for God to show us through the last moments of a man's life, what really matters and just as importantly, what doesn't. And so as we walk through this portion of Acts, this book that we've been going through is a church, would you pray with me as we see Stephen's final moments in his life? Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for being enough. We pray that that would be true this morning in our relationship with you in our life. Jesus, thank you for being the word. Thank you for speaking into our life. Thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you are doing and everything that you will do. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move within us, that you would move around us, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what Jesus you have to say in a unique way this morning, that we would set aside distractions and that we would be open, that we would have open hands and open hearts to receive as we look at your word. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name, amen. So we're gonna dive into Acts chapter seven toward the end of this chapter, starting in verse 54. So let's go ahead and get there. Here's what it says. Now, when they heard these things, Anytime it says that in a passage, it means we need to take a quick look back and say, okay, what was, what was said? Well, here's what was said. Here's what Stephen had to say. Look at this, just a brief glimpse. Then they secretly instigated men who, who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him, brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. And so they ask Stephen about this. He's on trial. And here's what Stephen does. He proclaims the gospel to them through a variety of ways, looking back at Old Testament uh, characters. He proclaims the gospel and he confronts them with their rejection of Jesus. And they're offended. Why? Because the gospel's offensive. Every single one of us. It, it offends our pride, it offends our selfishness, it shows us our inability to fix ourselves, and sometimes we don't wanna hear it and sometimes others don't wanna hear it. But at the same time, it's what we need the most. Because on the other side of our inability to make things right is the good news that Jesus already has and he is freely giving this gift called grace. And that's absolutely everything. It would be easy to look at these next few verses and to say, okay, this is about Stephen's death, but really it's so much more about Stephen's life. A real person, not a fictional character, a real person in history. It shows us what he lived for. It shows us what he died for. It shows us what he left behind. And here's the beauty in it. It all points back to Jesus. The big idea for today that we find in this passage is this. When Jesus is everything, Jesus 
changes everything. And Jesus changes what we live for. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged at the gospel. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, Have you ever experienced something that was incredibly life-changing, that literally dropped into your life and it changed the way that you thought, the way that you lived? I was thinking about it this week and the most life-changing thing that's really happened to me and it's happened to my wife too in the last year is the arrival of of our son, Silas. I think I've shared a picture of him in every sermon. I might not stop. I, I, I'm stoked about him. He's my little dude and he's turning, uh, he's turning one on Tuesday. But he arrived in our life and everything changed. The way that I thought about life, the way that I thought about my time, the way that I thought about how I invested my time, what was meaningful, what isn't. Stephen has been so profoundly impacted by Jesus that it's changed all of that for him. His priorities have shifted. And this is a move of the Holy Spirit now in Stephen's life by and through the direction of Jesus. Jesus changes what we live for when he's everything to us. And for Stephen, it wasn't for the approval of others. It was for the approval of God. But that's hard, isn't it? It's tough. It's not easy. Because there's something within us that says, I really want that person's approval. I really need their approval. I really want them to like me. It's tough. And yet Stephen was so impacted that he came to this place where he was no longer seeking the approval of man, only the approval of God. For Stephen, Jesus was the main point of his life. Jesus was everything. Whether he was abounding in prosperity or he was about to lose it all, Jesus wasn't a tack-on religious accessory, just a good religious teacher or a guru, a good prophet, a humanitarian. Jesus is Stephen's whole life. This ordinary guy who experienced the grace of Jesus, who has literally been waiting tables and serving meals to those in need, so the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and study and to the preaching of the word, is now standing before an angry mob, not defending himself, defending Jesus. This wasn't the popular move. It wasn't going to gain him friends. It wasn't going to get his name on a plaque. It wasn't going to elevate his stature in the city. So why? Big question. Why would Stephen do this? Here's why. Because he had a new mission in life. And the message of Jesus was the mission. The good news message of grace and hope and love that it absolutely turned Stephen's life upside down in all the best ways. An experience and a reality unlike anything that we've ever had offered to us. Stephen experienced in Jesus. And he knew that these people needed to desperately hear about this, even if they didn't want to hear it or they didn't know that they needed it at the time. Last Sunday, I went with my brother-in-law and I saw this new movie that came out. Maybe you've seen it. I won't do spoiler alerts. I don't want you to be angry at me. Um, But it's called 1917. This movie based in World War I. And as I was watching this movie, I couldn't help but think about this passage because, um, again, no spoiler alerts, but yeah, here we go. Um, there's, there's these young guys and they are given this mission and the mission, mission is to deliver this message and, and nothing will stop them. And there's this amazing scene, you see just a still frame of it here, where this young kid is running on the front line 
with no regard for his own life as others are trying to defend and move forward, with no regard because getting the message to where it needs to be is so critically important because it's a life-changing and life-saving message. This is what was rooted inside Stephen's heart. He was willing to risk and give up his very life to make sure that the message was delivered because the mission was now the message, the message of Jesus. And you see that here. It's amazing that nothing could keep Stephen from standing with Jesus, even if he was standing alone. Let me ask, at work, in your home, in your school, in your neighborhood, with your peers, will you stand with Jesus even if you're standing alone? Is knowing that he's a part of your life, is that enough? Not because it's easy, not because it won't be costly, at times it may cost you a lot, but because when you count the cost, there's nothing worth more than Jesus. And with Jesus, the beauty is, we're actually never alone. Look at these next few verses. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, envision this, this is real, this is happening. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. What does Stephen's vision here really mean and why is it so important that we understand it and we actually take hold of it today here in Charleston on Daniel Island in 2020? Why is this so important? I want you to envision this for a second. Here's what's happening. That as Stephen is being pressed and he's being accused and he's being persecuted by these people and he is about to literally fall to his knees to lay down his life for what he believes because Jesus means that much to him. He looks up and he sees Jesus standing, not sitting, but standing. Jesus, who it says is seated at the right hand of God because he did the work on the cross and the work is finished, is not sitting, but he's actually standing for two reasons. The first one is for, as an advocate, as an advocate to Stephen and as affirmation to what Stephen's standing for that he is standing and essentially saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're not backing down, you're standing for me, and so I stand in affirmation of you and welcome you in. And also, he stands as a judge. He stands as a judge over this entire scene and this entire scenario. This is amazing. This judge over those who rejected Stephen, knowing that they rejected him first. Stephen didn't do the things he was accused of. He was being slandered, he was being lied about. And at the same time, because Jesus was standing in affirmation and approval of Stephen, and at the same time, because he was standing as the judge, Stephen didn't need to seek retaliation. Stephen didn't need to defend himself. God had control over this entire situation. If you stand with Jesus long enough, and if you stand and you're unmoved, even as culture shifts, even as it gets more difficult at times, if you stand with him, people will walk away from you. People will stand against you. And sometimes this doesn't just happen outside of the church, but even inside of the church if you're unmoved. If you stand with the truth of Jesus, even when it's not easy. Some people will turn on you. Some people will turn 
from you, but I want you to hear this. You're not alone in any of it. Jesus stands with you and Jesus stands for you even when others stand against you. And that's great news for us as we stand firm in our faith of Jesus. Jesus changes what we live for and he also changes what we die for. Look at verse 58. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen experienced two deaths. He died physically. We see that in this passage. But he also died to himself. You notice he doesn't cry out for the men to stop stoning him. Instead, he cries out to Jesus to receive him. The one who's been incredibly faithful to Stephen. The one who's shown Stephen incredible grace. Jesus had changed Stephen's life so profoundly that he was willing to give up everything he may have ever wanted because he had received everything he ever needed in Jesus. And he really believed this and he lived it. He had received this love. He had received this forgiveness. He had received this grace. Maybe some of you just need to hear this this morning. Maybe you're facing something really difficult, something really challenging. Maybe you feel lonely and kind of on an island. Maybe you have others around you who don't agree with what you believe and it's been really hard to stand firm in your faith. Here's, here's what maybe you need to hear this morning as we sit here, as we talk about this passage. Hear this that in Jesus, you are fully loved. In Jesus, you're completely forgiven. In Jesus, you're shown grace upon grace and the assurance that Jesus no longer stands as a judge to condemn you, but in Christ, as a savior who approves you and who welcomes you. There's freedom and great clarity when we die to ourselves. When we go from what do I want to what do they need? When we go from what can I get to what can I give? And we stop believing this incessant lie that comes time and time again that says that a life well lived is based on our past, present, and future successes and failures when we die to ourselves, While these witnesses to this brutal murder, don't miss this, they're laying down their garments at the feet of Saul who approved Stephen's execution, Stephen has just laid down his life at the feet of Jesus. This is so countercultural. But in Jesus, we die so that we can truly live. And with this life comes a new heart for people, even our enemies. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. With his final breath, Stephen prays for the people who are literally taking his life with each boulder that's hurled his way as his body is being crushed. How is this possible? It's only possible through a powerful work of the Holy Spirit in Stephen that's grounded completely on the person and work of Jesus so much so, Stephen is so close to Jesus that his very words at his death mimic Jesus' words at his death. Receive my spirit, receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
What does this mean? When you experience grace, real grace, undeserved grace, when you go with those open hands before Jesus, knowing your past, knowing your struggles, knowing your doubts, and Jesus accepts you as you are, you start to live out of that grace. That's the only way that Stephen is able to pray for the people that are murdering him in this moment because of grace. He's experienced grace and forgiveness that's completely changed his life. Has the grace and forgiveness of Jesus completely changed your life? Has it changed the way that you think about yourself that God no longer sees you as a sinner but a saint? He does. That God is looking out at those around you and those are now people to be reached, not people to compete against, not people to be afraid of, but people to love. Has he given you a new heart? Has he given you new eyes because of his grace? Jesus changes what we die for. Stephen is dying to himself and he's willing to even literally die for the name of Jesus, for the mission of Jesus, for the message of Jesus. Don't miss this. Stephen is dying thinking of others because Jesus first died thinking of him and Jesus died thinking of you. And you may say, no, Jesus didn't die thinking of me. He absolutely did. At that time, you were his enemy. You were far off. And yet Jesus on the cross says, forgive them. They know not what they do. Holy Spirit, would you move in them? Would you bring them into the family? I know that they're killing me right now. They're taking my very life. They they don't know that I'm innocent. They don't know that I've come to save them. But would you still grant them mercy? Would you still grant them forgiveness? Imagine if we had these kinds of hearts as we even went out this week, that we see the people who may even be standing against us now, but instead of of anger, instead of wanting retaliation, instead of wanting vengeance, we, we want their hearts to be changed because our hearts have been so changed by Jesus. Imagine the impact that that has on our neighbors. Imagine the impact that that has on your coworker. Imagine the impact that that has on your family, on your kids. His moms and dads and brothers and sisters who have been so radically changed by Jesus that now we have new eyes and new hearts for people. This is what happened in Stephen's life because Jesus was everything and Jesus changed what Stephen lived for. He changed what Stephen died for and he changes what Stephen leaves behind and Jesus changes what we leave behind. Look at these first few verses of Acts 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now you could look at this and say, Did Stephen's death really even matter? I mean, when I look at this scenario here, it looks like the mob won, and it looks like things got a lot worse for the early church and for Christians. This isn't really encouraging, right? Did things get more difficult? Yes, absolutely. But here's what's so important, that we zoom out. That we zoom out and we see God's plan as it unfolds here that the persecution of God's people wouldn't lead to the death of Christianity, but actually to its flourishing. And we even see this today with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in countries where it's not acceptable to be Christians, but they're standing firm in their faith, risking their very life. You know what we're seeing? We're seeing mass conversion. We're seeing revival. That this whole idea at the moment that this mob had, that if they put to death Stephen, they would put to death Christianity. God's bigger than that. 
God's more powerful than that. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. He would take this offering of a life and he would multiply it in the life of others. He's doing this today in front of us. Miracles are happening all around us as people meet Jesus in unexpected ways. As the Holy Spirit moves and the Holy Spirit lives within us. That the persecution of God's people, it wouldn't lead to the death, it would lead to the flourishing. That as pressure was applied, faith was strengthened. They didn't expect this, that the scattering of Christians throughout the region would, they were hoping that it would lead to isolation. But instead, the spread of the good news throughout the land as people continue to share that Jesus was everything. And that the man that heard Stephen's message of Jesus here, even though he rejected it at the time and approved Stephen's death, would have his life completely changed. He would become the greatest church planner, missionary, and evangelist the world has ever known, even laying down his own life a few years later as Jesus takes Saul, the murderer, and by his grace, changes him into Paul, the evangelist. Absolutely amazing. So does Stephen, what Stephen lived for and what he died for, did it really matter? Without a doubt. Because what Stephen left behind wasn't himself. What Stephen left behind was Jesus. When you look at this entire passage and you ask, who's the main character in this? Okay, maybe it's Stephen. You know, he's this first martyr. Maybe it's Saul. He becomes this missionary. Maybe it's the mob. Mm, These are clone characters. These are clone characters in this story and they're meant to point us to one person, one God, and that's Jesus. Stephen's life did this. It all comes back to him. And as we go out this week, I want you to hear this. There's no greater investment that you can make than in the gospel of Jesus. The greatest thing that you can leave behind today, tomorrow, and even at the end of our life, it isn't money, it isn't status, it's not our accomplishments. Here's what it is. It's Jesus with others. The greatest thing that we can leave behind with your kids, they need more Jesus. With your neighbors, they need more Jesus. In your school, they need more Jesus. In our city, they need more Jesus. When Jesus is everything, every time that you give up time for your neighbor, because Jesus gave up his very life for you, you're leaving a piece of Jesus behind with them. Every time you stand in the gap and you pray with someone who's hurting because Jesus has stood in the gap with you when you were hurting the most and offered you forgiveness, you're leaving behind a piece of Jesus. Students, every time that you invite someone into your circle that no one else wants to invite in their circle because Jesus invited you into the family, you're leaving behind a piece of Jesus. Every time you acknowledge Jesus, even when it's not popular, Every time that you show love with compassion and grace and forgiveness, every time you show patience because Jesus showed that to you, we're leaving behind pieces of Jesus in other people's lives. A piece of Jesus that the Holy Spirit can and we pray will take and change everything in another person's life just like he's changed everything within us. He changes everything as he goes with us, living out this truth of a changed life, that in Jesus, what was dead is brought back to life, what was lost is now found, and what was wrong is made right. When Jesus is everything, Jesus changes everything. This is what our city needs, this is what we need to constantly be reminded of. 
Your neighbors this week, as you go out, they need to see Jesus. They need to see it in the way that we love, in the way that we step in, in the way that we're kind, in the way that we're gentle, in ways that absolutely don't make sense maybe to anyone else, and yet we know that we are living this way because of how Jesus has given himself to us and how he's at work in us. We would pray for these same things that our neighborhoods are dramatically affected by not the good news of ourselves, by not our accomplishments, but as we take the good news of Jesus. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would move powerfully and he would change everything and everyone. That the same God who is able to take a murderer who is leading the charge against Christians That same God that changed that man's life and would build him and make him into a missionary is the same God that can save the most wayward soul and that wants to save your neighbor, that wants to save your coworker, that wants to save your enemy who may even stand against you, who says that you should keep your beliefs to yourself. Never discount the work of Jesus, the powerful move of the Holy Spirit. God can save anyone and he's on this mission of redemption. And so the same big idea that we had that when Jesus is everything, Jesus changes everything, the the question for us as we respond today is, is he? Is he in my life? Is Jesus in this place where he's at the center, where he's not only my savior, but he's also my Lord? Is he everything? Is he the one that you're willing to die to self so that you can live for him? Or is there something standing in the way of that? And there are. There are all sorts of things that stand in the way of that day after day after day that we wrestle with. Maybe it's self-preservation, maybe it's fear, maybe it's pride, maybe it's other desires that we have. And so for, for the next few minutes, even as we respond, would you just sit and take a moment with Jesus to say, are you at the center of my life? What do I need to hand over to you, Jesus? Would you be more at the center of my life? Would you, would you, Would you saturate me with your grace and remind me of your goodness? And if you've never experienced this grace before, if you're sitting here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he welcomes you in just like he welcomes Stephen in. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your present. He will take you as you are. He'll give you new life. When Jesus is everything, Jesus changes everything. He changed Stephen, changing us. We pray that he would continue to change our community. This mission is the message. and We would be the ambassadors of that message as we take it beyond these walls when Jesus becomes everything in our life. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Jesus, we confess that we allow other things to step in and to become the thing, the priority, God, and sometimes that can dictate even how we stand for you or stand in our faith or, or, or don't at times. So Jesus, we first and foremost, we acknowledge that and we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we would be reminded of the grace that you've shown us and we would live out of that grace, not out of obligation, but we would live out of the grace that you've shown us, that you would grow our hearts for you and in doing so, grow our hearts for others that even as we face opposition, even as others may stand against us or, or we may be slandered or lied about or, or any host of things that we would know that you stand affirming who we are, sons and daughters approved by you. 
that we would lay down our lives and pick up yours. And that, Jesus, we would take you with us as we go. We pray for our neighborhoods. We pray for our city. We pray for even this room right now that if anyone doesn't have a relationship with you in here, that today would be the day that we celebrate new life. Jesus, thank you for being incredibly patient with us. Thank you for not walking away from us. Ultimately, thank you for giving your life so that we might have life in you. We pray all of this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen.